Hello, everybody. This is Renan Joran, and I am with Clive Greenwood. Welcome to episode 115, 115 already of our podcast, China Manufacturing Decoded. So as I mentioned, uh, Clive Greenwood, an experienced compliance consultant who, who's done a lot of work in the, in the China supply chain and who has joined a few uh, past episodes of this podcast is with me. And in episode 110, we covered the upcoming regulation from the European Union that, that is going to be called the Eco-Design Regulation and is going to encourage, for lack of a better word, or, or maybe, you know, let's say regulate and, and push people to, um, to, to make products uh, that are sold in the EU in a more sustainable manner. So we talked about that in episode 110. And we said that we would follow up with what are the implications actually on buyers of products, on, on, on people who import products into the EU and actually who make products in the EU and sell in the EU, right? Everybody's going to be affected in the same way. So we discussed a little bit before the, the, the podcast and then there's going to be some impact on the way the products are designed and there's going to be a, an impact on the suppliers, all the information you need from suppliers and how production has to take place and, 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 and be managed and so on and so forth. And we're going to cover these two aspects. So first, let's look at the way products are designed. So Clive, hi, and uh, thanks for joining us again. So first of all, happy Thanksgiving to all our American uh, viewers or, or listeners. Um, hope you have a good holiday. Fourth uh, of July, fourth of July. Yeah. Independence. Uh, over there. Uh, and, and, and obviously, hi, everybody. Thanks for having me back with you, uh, Renault. Um, okay. Why is it important? The regulation, the way that it is forming up at the moment, requires you as a manufacturer and a designer not only to think about the product life cycle, but the product after its life cycle. In other words, what happens? when the product is no longer useful and how it's going to be handled. Right. So for people to, to grasp this, this notion, whenever we talk about the environmental aspect and, and impact uh, of, of a product, it's very important to look at it through the whole life cycle. So it's from extraction of raw materials and processing and, da, 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 and distribution, all the transportation and, and warehousing and so on the use of the product, obviously, but also the end of the life cycle is the disposal and hopefully uh, recycling and, 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 and so on and so forth, right? Or composting and bio, you know, maybe it biodegrades very fast and, and so on. So that's the full life cycle. And when, when a company designs a new product, uh, what, what is the impact? You know, do they have some control over what happens to the product throughout his, its, its whole life cycle? And does it, you know, do the designers actually control the impact of the product on the environment and its ability to, to be recycled, you know, to, to go into a circular economy? The answer is to that one is yes, they have to do. You know, you can't decide that, well, that product is going to last for a year and I don't care what happens to it afterwards. 
It, it, yeah. it, it, if we think about it in the case of we say that where quality is concerned, we always start at the design, so designing quality. Now, with this regulation, and don't forget, this is just at the moment a Council of Europe regulation, but it is expanding. And there is going to be a global harmonized standard for this. This you can be sure about. You have to also decide in the design phase, what is the impact on the environment when the product is no longer useful? And it has to be designed in. So you can design a product which is, after it's been used, it throws away or it can't be recycled. And remember, the products have to be at least 80% recyclable. You can't say, well, after that, it just goes into a landfill. That is no longer going to be allowed. So the whole idea of throw away, throw away technologies, and it doesn't matter. And, you know, we, we're getting back to the, the, the old plastic bag syndrome. If you had this requirement, you would never have had disposable plastic bags. Right. So it's not that uh, I want to reassure the listeners. It doesn't mean that once this regulation comes into play, maybe in in one year, maybe in 18 months, we're not really sure. Uh, And once it really um, once people really have to comply with it, which might be in, you know, maybe two years from now. We don't know. Yeah, the date's already been set. The tw- okay. Yeah, but they're already being set on tw- the 21st of May, 2024. Ah, okay, that's helpful. So it doesn't mean that all the products that typically go to landfill at the end of their life will no longer be allowed, but it means that there's going to be some restrictions. If they're, yes. they're, and the authorities will uh, look into uh, the products, and if there has been zero effort made that's my understanding anyway. Uh, please correct yes. me if I'm wrong. But if, if there's, there's been, been zero, zero effort made, that's it. Yeah, zero effort made. It's obviously uh, possible to reduce the impact of the product on the environment. Maybe it's even possible to make it circular very easily. Okay, if you put that product on the market, you might run into issues. It's going to go against this regulation, right? And some of the topics that we're going to mention a little bit later in the episode about, you know, how you make it and what information you have about the different manufacturing steps involved and all that stuff. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But first, um, product design is so important. And product design involves, I mean, what does it involve? It involves the picking the materials and the components, right? So yep. it, is this regulation going to push companies to to use more recycled content maybe of some of the materials it's going to look about the the actual composite materials which are used in building the product and and how much percentage of those can be recycled okay and the percentage which has been left so let's say you you can recycle 80% 20% then what is the impact of that 20% so this really comes um, when picking the materials and also when building the, uh, how to say, when deciding how to assemble or build the product, right? Because if at the end of life, it's nearly impossible to dismantle the product and to take the different, uh, the different materials apart for recycling, that, that's going to be a problem, right? So they, they, they're going to look at that. 
You're also going to look at the ability to repair the product or to do uh, to do maintenance on the product. Is that correct? Exactly. That's correct. Absolutely. If we if we cast our minds back a, um, maybe a year, eighteen months, there was a lot of talk about something which was called the right to repair. Remember that? Yes, there have been some regulations about that. Well, that's right. So this now is coming into this regulation. So people also should have access to to spare parts and so on and so forth, right? Plus maybe some, um, th- there will have to be, at least when it makes sense, some instructions for repair staff on how to do. Is, is that correct? Correct, yes. Now, if you think about the, the, the new mobile telephones, okay, the, the mobile telephones are being designed now not to be repaired. Yes, you can put a new screen on there, but if the battery goes, well, you throw the thing away and put a new one in, yeah? Putting a, a battery into an existing mobile phone is difficult because of the way that they're constructed. All of that's going to have to be looked at. Right. Right. Okay. Now, if you if you look at what's happening, certainly with lithium iron and lithium hydroxide and things like this on the batteries now, okay, these are going to have to have a serious look at because mm. you know, okay, with lithium you can recover a hundred percent of of lithium and recycle that, but the plastics or the that, that have gone into into the molding of that have got to also be looked at, and also the chemicals which would be used to recover the lithium. Yeah, sometimes recycling can be itself very dirty. Very, very dirty. That's right. Right. Now, and as a designer, you have to think to that level. This is what it means. And one of the key aspects, because people might be wondering, you know, okay, but like, where are the rules, you know? Where are the guidelines? And really the point here, in my understanding, is that First, this regulation will come with some general principles and you need to look at that, you need to look at that. Maybe you need to, you know, maybe document a risk analysis, document pros and cons, you know, the benefits mm-hmm. and the risks of, uh, or the costs of different alternatives and pick the one that makes the most sense and, but in a documented way. And if you do that, you will already be way ahead of maybe a lot of other uh, importers, at least in the first few years, um, and uh, and until maybe there is more specific uh, requirements specifically for your kind of product, uh, because this uh, this this regulation is going to impact basically all kinds of products, right? Except food and a few uh, a, few, a few a few types of products, but most uh, most consumer goods and, and 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 so on are going to be impacted right away. So. You, you need to think about that. And then at one point, uh, they will look at your type of product. If you're in construction products or textile products, it would be much, much uh, earlier. Uh, if you're doing consumer electronics, maybe as we were discussing last time, maybe it would be uh, one or two years later and, and, and so on and so forth. But um, the point is that the, the, uh, if you do nothing, and if you don't try to document the different alternatives that you that you looked at and and why you picked that approach and and so on, uh, you might get in trouble. Am I reading this correctly? 
Yeah, let me let me actually read you what the proposal actually says. There's a couple of key points on here. So the main objective of the regulation is to reduce the negative life cycle environmental impacts of products and improve fundament, uh, the, the functionalities of products, the durability of products and the life of products. They reflect the fact that products are available on the inter, uh, internal market and generally accessible advice or the adverse effects of the in, uh, environmental impact. The objectives regulation also contributes to the objectives of the EU industrial policy to boost the supply of and demand of sustainable goods, deliver of sustainable production and ensure a level playing field for products sold on the market. Industrial harmonized requirements applicable across the board, effective means to comply with them and proper enforcement. Couple of key words yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Durability, impact on the environment, and so on, right? And so, for example, enforcement. Yes, and enforcement. Yeah. So, for example, durability, reliability. Uh, when a product is developed, uh, there should be a test plan, and it should be tested, and you know, uh, yeah, so accelerated. Inform, yeah. So right. accelerated life testing is going to become the norm. You're going to have to supply the data. When we when we talk about the product passport, that data is going to have to be presented in the technical file. Right. So right now they don't say things very specific, like yeah, the ALT and what, what kind of reliability test would be required? Because uh, again, it's going to impact so many different products. Uh, but if if you're looking at, for example, electrical products, yeah, <laughs> you might have to do highly accelerated uh, lifetime testing at the early stages of prototyping and then accelerated lifetime stages. And, then, and maybe a full life test is even better uh, when you get to the end of, of you know, product development. So something like that will have to be presented. And maybe in some cases, they might, if it's very large batches, very, you know, a product that for which reliability is super important, maybe also ongoing reliability testing on every production batch, you know. So yeah. they, they're not going to, to say, this is exactly what I want. This is the list of documents, right? But what they are saying is that for, for the product to get an, a CE certificate, the requirements as laid down by this act will be in that accreditation for the product at a product level. Yes, so we, we're going to get more um, uh, more specific requirements soon. That's what you mean. That's right. Yeah, the specific requirements as they come across. What 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 it actually says in the things that they, that that the overriding effect of the of this standard will not be superseded by an individual product regulation. So you can so forget about any grandfather agreements or anything like this. The EU on this one is very clear. I'm just actually reading one of the paragraphs of player. When applying the eco design approach to the very broad band of products and and enabling it to set a wide range of target product requirements, this regulation seeks to address the most detrimental environmental impact of products. It therefore lays down the framework for setting eco-design requirements based on sustainability, circularity aspects listed in the 
circular economic develop uh, action plan, such as product durability, reusability, upgradability, and efficiency. The recycling content of a product, the product's remanufacturing and high quality recycling, and for reducing products, carbon, and environmental footprints. That's, that's it in yeah. a nutshell. Okay. Yeah. There you have a list. Yes. There you have the list. Yeah, yeah, and and all of this again is is decided at the the design stage. You have to design it's all for, at the design stage. Yeah, design for reliability, design for recyclability. If if that's uh, realistic, design for all of these things. Yes, all of them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's on the design stage, and that means if. You are designing, and I'm talking to the audience here, and the, you know, companies that sell products in the EU or are planning to, if you are designing new products uh, or a new version of your product or something like that, your designers need to have some criteria. Hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about this, 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 this? Yes, it has, you... to go into, it has to go into the design risk assessment. Yes, right. So some companies are going to call it risk assessment. Some companies are going to call it whatever, right? Like fulfilling the requirements or whatever. But really it's, it, it's about um, having the designers think about these, these things. And, um, you know, whenever they score some points and they say, oh yeah, we're going to do this. So this is going to be good, you know, document all of this. And if, if there's, there's going to be a, an issue, they know that, certain requirements, some of these points that you mentioned are not going to be covered at all. You know, they're going to have to do a risk assessment. Yeah, exactly. Okay, what, for this kind of product, what is the impact of not fulfilling the requirement? And, you know... Uh, the impact, so as far as I can see, the impact is that you will not get a product passport for it. You will not get a CE certificate. Yeah, so in this case, you might... Um, when the time comes anyway, talk to your notified body, right? If it's a product that has to be, uh, has to have a C mark, talk to the, the yeah, the, the, the certified yeah, body. The certified body, yeah, yeah. Right. Now we've also got to address as well, something which is becoming very much a, a talking point, which is called greenwashing. Yes, yes. Okay. Now, many products have got questionable unproven or unprovable claims of the, uh, of the impact on the environment. That is no longer going to be possible because now you have to prove it. Mm -hmm. The whole concept of what we're talking about here is first and foremost, the companies should now be looking at the products. Uh, the, the, the internet is absolutely full with you know, what you can do, what you should do. No one actually quite knows because it's not been programmated yet. However, we do know which way it's going to go. So companies now should be looking at this. And especially if they are into a new design phase, they must consider this as right. a fundamental requirement, not as a nice to have, but as a fundamental requirement that that product would be accredited to be sold in the EU. And as well, in also into many other markets because other markets are now coming to the fold. 
the the US the US's uh, its uh, sustainability act looks very similar to this. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we don't just think, well, oh, I don't sell to Europe, so it's not going to be a problem. Well, okay, I don't sell to the world's second largest market. That's fine. But okay, so I sell to America. Well, wait a minute. The same requirements are coming here as well. This is a mega, mega trend, right? This is what this we're is covering. This is a it. huge change, a huge yes. change. Yes. Okay. It's it, going it to is, come, yeah, in a lot of yeah. countries. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even places like South America are looking at this. Australia, New Zealand, mm -hmm. Brazil. Okay. And they're all as well talking about post market surveillance as well. Now, the last time we spoke uh, about post-market surveillance, if you remember, I was talking about medical devices. Medical devices, yes. Yes, yes. you remember? And the, sure. the amount of data that you have to collect to be compliant with that, it's going to be the same amount. So, right. okay. To translate, yes, to translate that for, for, for the listeners, that means that the company will have to keep, once the product is on the market and they're selling it, and maybe they've been selling it for five years, they will need to keep a log of complaints, known issues, and so on and so forth about all of the topics that Clive listed before, right? Um, yep. Ease of, um, of, of repairing, durability and reliability, you know, end of life, what happens? Can we dispose it? Can we recycle it? And so on and so forth. You're going to have to keep a log of that and uh, regularly um, sort of review do it. An analysis it's got to be reviewed. That. Yeah, got yes. to be regularly reviewed. And yes. in this case, regularly reviewed means every quarter. Right. So here's more, much more work for uh, compliance managers, compliance officers who are, uh, uh, it is going to to become another yeah another another part of their job. I mean they they're already collecting the technical dossier or technical folders, um, and and this is and the complaints from the market and things like that. This is another another aspect of it. They're gonna have to to do the same for all of these points, but basically the, the impact of the the product on the environment in the in the wider sense of the words. So they better start to look into that now, yes. Yeah. I mean, if you the, the other aspect of this as well is the way that this is going to be empowered. The, the whole aspect of the green transition, okay, it's part of the, uh, the, the European um, CEAP project, such as the EU strategy for sustainability and circular in textiles. So the empowerment of customers for the green transition will improve information on products and at point of sale, in particular, their durability, repairability, and help prevent greenwashing and, and permanent obsolescence. The upcoming Commission's incentive on green claims will also complement measures in this legislation by increasing reliability, comparability, and variability of the environmental impacts of claims of products which basically means on the label, you're going to have something which is called the unique identification number, mm -hmm. which, will be, which will be recorded by the notification bodies and given 
to the EU Commission. If you don't have that on that product, you will not be able to sell it in Europe. Oh, yeah. Is that, it's going to be very, is that clear? Very easy, to, very clear. Very easy to find out, right? Yeah. Um, it's going to be on the product. It's on the product, on the product labeling. So if you think about textiles, you, you, you know, your size label at the back of your neck is now going to have a, a QR code with it, which you can scan on your mobile telephone, which will tell you that product's EU serial number. Yeah, plus some other information. Plus some other things. Yeah. Some of it will not be, yeah, some of it will not be identifiable to the general public, but it would be to an inspector. Okay. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, because they would also have to, the company would also have to to feed the database with some information, such as where is it made and do you have some of the certificates and so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. So you talked about, at the design stage, okay. Now, in the actual framework here that we're looking at, it says so. It says here, in addition to the life cycle analysis method, including product environmental footprint method. In addition, the objective of this legislation will be to further support by legislation on the Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Act. In particular, the environmental due diligence rules that lays down for companies. Finally, the requirement also contribute to achieving EU climate goals. Now, if you remember, the EU climate goals was all about COP21, mm-hmm. which takes it now global. Yeah. And when you're talking about the impact on the environment, it's going to be a big focus on greenhouse gases, right? So... When well, they talk yes. about the impact, it's going to be, it's going to come back to life cycle assessments. I saw 14.040 and 14.064, is it? Yes. Uh, there are some, some standards that, that go into the details of exactly how to do that. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise everybody's got their own, uh, their own way of doing it and their own way of, no, they're not, they're not, they are they are existing standards yes which yes. they can fall back on right. okay yes. so so you know if you if you're going through the 14,000 series it's already there okay um, thinking back uh, with this you had for example I keep going back to the field which I, I obviously work in as you as you probably already know which is medical devices and 13485 we went from the European Directive uh, EU MDD, we went then to something which is called EU MDR, which really just strengthened the whole aspect of the control. Think about this in exactly the same way. Now, one of the requirements is that you think at your design stage, the amount of energy in joules that that product is going to use how much it is it took to construct that product, and you're going to have to have that noted on your technical documentation. Now that is massive. Yes. How much energy? How much energy does that product? How much did it take to make it? And how much energy does it take to destroy it? Well, yeah, energy consumption all through the life cycle. Yeah. I mean, all through the life cycle. So you're going to have to calculate this. 
do they do they actually yeah. write black, black and white that this is going to be required or is it your interpretation that it's my, it's my interpretation of reading of reading when it's talking uh, when it's talking about energy in, in right. it's talking about energy consumption in how the product is made um right. i think right. it's article yeah. nine yeah my interpretation of reading the standard is that that's what it means the total amount of energy that that product uses, the total amount of energy that that product took to build, and the total amount of energy that it took to destroy it. Mm. Right, right. Wow. And it's not just about the energy, right? It's about maybe the the waste that is generated absolutely all along the product life cycle. Absolutely, it's about. Uh, think about this: when you when you manufacture a piece of plastic, okay. You've, you've two things that happen here. You use a lot of energy and there is waste products. The bits which are left over, which you normally cut away and try to go to regrind, for example. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're using energy to extract the mineral, the PP, PE, or ABS, whatever it is. Then you're using energy to mold it, but you've actually used energy to make the mold. Then you now you've got a... The waste now, which you cannot use or cannot regrind, because in a lot of products, you're not allowed a certain amount of regrind. That means that that has got to be destroyed, which means it's got to be uh, regrind. How much energy is it using to regrind that? If it's going to be destroyed, how much energy are you using to do that? And what on the raw material percentage finally is waste? Or in other words, that percentage that cannot be reused. Right. You have to know these things yeah it's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of documentation and a lot of excel files and yeah providing we don't use paper then we're fine (laughs) okay (laughs) right uh so that uh, i think we, we we gave a good taste to to the listeners about the design side basically all the work of the designers let's switch to the work of the purchasers and supply chain people uh, because uh-huh. that's that's going to be massive also right um, yes because yeah. if you you could make the same product just next to a, a hydroelectricity source where everything is um, you know has no carbon uh, impact or very little uh, you could make it um, with with uh, zero discharge of, of waste, or maybe everything is retreated very, very nicely, and the water is so pure that it's actually cleaner than the, the river that it, it goes into, and, and so on and so forth. Or you could make it in a place where there's no regulations, nobody cares. It you know the source of energy is burning coal, and um, <laughs> and 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 the buildings themselves have to have to be warmed up by burning gas, and you know there's all kinds of things like that. So the regulation is actually trying to to address that. Is is it correct? Yes, the regulation is trying to address that by actually, if the product needs the CE mark, for example, it is on that accreditation that they're looking for that information. Now, yeah. as a buyer, you have under the regulation, as where I read this, you have a legislative duty to ensure that the product that you are buying meets the requirements as set down by the standard. And that's where the corporate due diligence comes in. 
So the Corporate Due Diligence Act means that if you do do what you've just intimated at, you would be breaking that, regula that, that regulation. So that, just to clarify to people, this is another EU regulation that is also yes. being drafted, right? On the side, yeah. But going back to the, the eco-design regulation, as a buyer, if you don't even know how the product is made, you know, oh, this piece well, of metal... <laughs> Well, yeah. well, 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 we don't well, know, you know. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Okay, there's one thing in law which has stood the test of time, and that is that ignorance is not a defense. Exactly. No, no, that's what I'm saying. I'm trying to take the worst, the worst case, right? What the regulation really doesn't want. The regulation really doesn't want to to see people selling products into the EU, and they have no clue. Oh yeah, whatever. This is a piece of metal. It just comes out of a machine. We don't really know. Yeah, it's shipped from that's us. right. Shipped from this China this is where us. the product passport comes in. A buyer may be able to buy copy products and sell it on the on the market. Now, the EU are spending billions and billions of, of euros on when this starts to happen. They've already set aside billions of dollars on a consumer advertising campaign. This is going to be driven by consumers, the empowerment mm -hmm. of consumers to choose and to choose mm -hmm. products which have been made in a sustainable way. And remember, that's on the label. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, does that mean that there will be people conducting nefarious acts? Well, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, you also you, you do not have to look very far and, and have many companies that buy cheap products made in China, which either are not fit for purpose, break after after they plug them in, or are so dangerous that they have to be removed from the market. Yeah. You do not have yeah. to look very far for that. Mm -hmm. And some companies will continue to do that. It is the consumer which is going to decide whether or not they buy that product from that company. And then legislation will come at those people because they have broken the corporate due diligence regulation. Okay. So that's how it's going to be that's how it's going to be policed. Right, right. Okay. So let's say let's take an example because we, we, we mentioned several times if there is a CE mark. But for example, textile products like garments, people go yeah. to a, a, a clothing store and buy garments. There's no C mark on them, but this is going to be one of the, the first priorities, actually, yeah, the, exactly. the eco-regulation, yeah. uh, sorry, eco-design regulation is going to look into textile and, and set some very specific requirements. Oh, well, wait textile. a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. On yeah. textiles, you, on the back of the label, on the back of your clothes, you have washing instructions, don't you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's where it's going. Right. So there will be, and we discussed this a little bit last time in episode yeah. uh, 110 there's going to be a product passport which is probably going to be in the form of a qr code or a barcode that mm -hmm. can be scanned and and the the, the 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 end customers the end users can get a little bit of information from that um and so looking at the supply what, what, chain what again, they will get yeah. what they will get is that they will get a they will get like something similar to a serial number, mm -hmm. which will have on it 
probably something like EN or CE reference number, probably a, a six or an eight digit code. That will prove that they can type in that on their phone and it, it should bring up a description of what that product is. And if it doesn't, it's a fake. It's that simple. Right. Is it in the database of the European Commission? It's in is a it the same European product? Union database. Right, right. Yeah. And which is accessible by the general public. Chain, right. Okay. Accessible by general public. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm trying to go into the, the, the requirements for the supply chain. So these garments, the fabric, okay, the yarn has to come from somewhere. It's got to be spun or woven or something. And then it's got to be dyed, which is extremely, mm -hmm. uh, you know, has, which has the potential of being extremely yep. polluting uh, yes. and, is, uh, and, and consumes a lot of energy, right? Um, yep. So, and then it goes into a cotton shoe factory and then it's shipped out. As a buyer, if I'm buying this, I'm the importer, okay? And I buy this mm -hmm. from, say, from Bangladesh. And maybe the fabric right. is made and dyed in China. Do I have to collect information about the, the, the supply chain? Do I just need to know where it's cut and sewn? Do I need to know where the fabric comes from and where it's dyed? As the, as the, as the buyer or the importer of record, the answer to that is yes. Yeah, this regulation will require the importer to actually have some data about these um, process steps. That That's right, which is the same, exactly the same file, the technical file, which right. is going to be held by the importer of record right. or, the, or the EU rep, for example, shall we say. Okay? Mm -hmm. He's got to have mm -hmm. that data and that data must be made available. Right. Now, that means all of the importers who do not even know where the fabric comes from, what, what do they have to do? And what if the, their supplier says, well, this is our local you. supplier. You understand. Yeah. I cannot tell you exactly where it comes from. This is a, you know, in business, there's certain things we cannot disclose, right? Okay. They're going to get right. a lot of responsibility. Okay. Yeah, but do you want me to tell you what the regulation and the meaning of the regulation means? Go ahead. Okay. If you did that, you would be breaking this law. Yes. So the importer should say, if is you want me due, to keep buying... Is there due diligence requirement? Right. Right. I have to do it. If I cannot get this information, I, I have to go to another you. supplier? Yes. Or, or I cannot yes. sell... On the I cannot market. sell that in Europe. I cannot sell that in Europe. It's, right. a, it's cut and dry. It is very, very simple. It's very straightforward. If you haven't got that information, you haven't got the CE mark. If you haven't got that CE mark and you are a buyer for a large retailer and you haven't checked, or even more that you can prove that you have checked and you mm -hmm. still bought it, then you broke the law. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's it. Yeah. So take how far? Take that man to cell yeah. number nineteen. He's going to be there for some time. So let me ask you an, another example, just to make sure people grasp. You know, so one of the questions would be: Okay, how many tiers of suppliers do I have to get down in the supply chain? So, for example, if I buy a um, 
one of these little things to hold the phone up or the iPad up. Okay, at least, simple. at least three. Wow. So, based on this example, and let's just look at the metal parts. The metal parts. Let's say it's stainless steel. It goes through. It it comes out of um, a, a steel mill, right? And even before that, it comes out the of the materials ground. Materials come from some mine somewhere, and mm-hmm. and they use whatever to uh, to power uh, to 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 power the furnaces and make it very very hot, right? Then it yeah. goes into some wool sellers or distributors, then die casting place, and then. It, ha- it goes to another place maybe for electroplating. And then it goes into another place maybe that assembles the little rubber feet on it and does the, the, the packing and, and ships it out. If I'm the buyer and I buy a batch of 1,000 or 5,000 pieces of this little uh, iPhone yeah, there's holder. No, there's, no, there's no number on the regulation. Right. If my supplier who puts the little rubber feet and, and, and puts the packaging together is, uh, you know, yeah, we buy it from our suppliers. Sorry. You know, now if they tell you, okay, this is the die casting place. Then you can go so to the die casting place and ask them where they got their materials from. Yes. Wow. Think yeah. about this in a logical sense. Okay. We, we're talking about a piece of metal. Okay. It come out of the hole in the ground somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was the environmental impact of that hole in the ground? Did you knock down all the forests in the Amazon to make that piece of metal for me? And okay. Yeah. What, what kind of engines, uh, what, what kind mm-hmm. of um, extraction equipment? That's right. How was it shipped? Yeah. Yes. If that piece of metal, what we're talking about here, although it's not rose, but my interpretation would be is that the actual material value of that component within any sub-assembly mm-hmm. okay the little raw the little bit of plastic which goes on the bottom of it well okay we're not really going to be too much interested in that but you should know but the big piece of metal which is actually driving this yeah we do want to know what that's doing right so there is a there are priorities what you're saying okay. is that people should of course put more a higher priority on the materials that make up most of the bill of material. Yes, that's what um, I'm saying. And also the materials that are known to come with a heavy environmental bill. That's that's entirely that is entirely what it says here. Yeah. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So it's all about yeah visibility on the bill of materials, uh, visibility down the supply chain. Uh, not just at the assembly. Traceability supplier, and visibility. But... Traceability and right. yeah. Yes. Yeah. They mentioned traceability a number of times. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they also, as well, when it comes to country level, they also is wrote into the to the WTO notification as well. By the way. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, the main pro- the main problem in this initiative, for what I see it, is that it seeks to remedy a very large problem and a very almost unmanageable situation where the world has got itself into now now the first time when you read this i actually first of all read within an eu document here covid19 and the things which that has highlighted in the supply chain now the policy objections are to uh, identify 
in sections two and 5.2 of the impact assessment. They've already done the assessment impact studies and they have found them to be in line with the general requirements laid down by COPS 21. Mm. Now, we had also noted that due to the adoption of the Commission's proposal for the Directive on Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence, during the preparation of this initiative, it was deemed appropriate to exclude requirements on social aspects from the scope of this legislative provision as a specific in the legal text and an evaluation will take place after eight years from the date of the application of this legislation among other aspects this this evolution will consider inclusion of social requirements in a regulatory framework now anybody that's not used to reading eu regulations what that means they're saying that this is going to be enforced for at least eight years after the product okay. has been put on the market, you mean they have to be able to come and check it up. Yes. And one thing that you mentioned is that this is going to be intertwined to some to, to a certain degree with social compliance uh, requirements. So it's we're talking about eco design, but actually uh, the impact on the environment sort of always includes safety for the users. Um, it, it does and, mention health and safety, but it mentions right. health and safety in in a more general term as regards right. a general population's health and safety. So what mm-hmm. we're talking about here is pollutants and toxins. Right, right. And we just mentioned the social compliance, yeah, at the manufacturing sites and, and, and beyond, yes. So yes. Tr- there, there, this is, again, a mega trend. This is why we're covering it in several episodes. Uh, of importers are going to be forced to have more visibility into their supply chain, to have more traceability, to be able to actually check if this is really comes from there and the batch that I get really comes from that supplier and so on and so forth. Uh, and yes. more and more requirements are going to be added to that. Obviously, over time, the requirements will be uh, clarified, but we already know enough to know, okay, what are the key data to pull out and to, to document uh, and, and, and to keep for the future? This is already yes. clear. This is, this is very clear already. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, uh, I, I, as I said to you before, the, I'm already writing letters for, on behalf of companies to, uh, to, into their supply chain where to seek basic information on the amount of energy used to make a product, the amount of waste that that product generates, the amount of toxicity, the carbon footprint, all of this data, collect it now, right now. Yes. Yes. Uh, Don't don't wait, okay? (laughs) Because, you know, and if the suppliers say, we're not going to give you that, start looking for new suppliers. I cannot be any clearer than that. Right. Okay. I'll make it very clear. This is a deal breaker, right? This, if we yeah, don't have the data, yeah, we're going to get in trouble. Yes. Well, I mean, look, buyers historically, uh, and the, the, the past three years have, have, have really just highlighted this to, to, to many of the legislators. We cannot leave 
the policing of a product or an industry down to the buyers. This has become mm -hmm. abundantly clear. Okay, you, yeah, you, there's, you always, there's always bad actors who will under yeah who will sell yeah. cheaper and yeah of course yeah. And uh, as far as the EU is concerned, they've said clearly enough is enough. You saw this with MDR. You've seen this now with this. And before we scared everybody to death, it's not yet been programmated, but I would not bet that it doesn't get programmated. There is too much data. There is too much information of what it means for it not to happen. We already know. Now, okay, I've just found the paragraph when we talked about earlier. The regulatory fitness and, and simplification. Though SMEs suggested a certain negative impact may stem from, the, from some of the measures under the preferred combination of the policy options identified in the impact assessment, many also expect to believe that these can be offset and bring added value over time. Yeah, because they know see, they know everybody is going to be up in arms and oh, say, yeah. oh, "Are you kidding?" But I cannot do that. This yeah, is only for very big companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah let yeah. me just finish this. In addition, the commission has looked specifically at ways to mitigate negative impacts on SMEs, and these are detailed in Annex 19 of the standard the proposal. If you look, if you want to look for it. For consultation purposes and in connection with specific examples of existing consultation forums under the Eco Design Directive, proposal establishes that Eco Design Forums shall not have a negative impact on small to medium sized enterprises, the craft industry, trade unions, trades, retailers, importers, environmental protection groups, and consumer organizations. So reading that, everybody has been considered. Yeah, they've, they've talked to everybody, right? This has they've been talked to everybody. Years in the making. There's been a group working on that for, for some time. They've, they've consulted right. the, with everybody. Yeah, the, okay. The, the, the commission uh, set up the regulation uh, with, a mem with a members group on the 13th of April, 2016. Hmm. This is how long this has been in the planning. So, like I say, right. it's not going away. <laughs> yeah, but the people that they have not consulted is the, the coffee-making ODM manufacturer in Ningbo who is going to say, sorry, I don't tell you where the plastic parts come from. I don't tell you where the filters come from. I don't tell you all this. This is my product. These guys have not been consulted, and the EU Commission could not care less about these people. Exactly, but it actually does refer back to the agreements as China, if we want to talk about China, signed up for when it's in its uh, in its acquisition to the WTO. Mm -hmm. hmm? Yeah, done that. Yeah, and one thing I we should add before we we, we close this episode is uh, that this commission is very strong-headed and when they go in a direction it's very unlikely they, they 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 turn in another direction as soon as you know people start to protest i think this is abundantly clear with the what, what they have mandated about cars you know 2035 
internal combustion engines forbidden we'll for sale in the EU. Yeah, will be a thing of the past. Yeah, and most of the the, the car makers are are protesting and they are you know very big constituents they pay a lot of taxes and they employ a lot of people and they uh, and so on and so forth and they're protesting and the commission still goes through with it uh, medical device regulation as we talked before uh, you know, a, a number of notified bodies have said our clients are not ready it's not possible we, and they we turn around and say get them ready Yeah, exactly. Well, well what have tough. they been waiting for? You know, yeah. this thing has been published five years ago. What are they waiting for, right? So this should be a warning to people who are thinking, well, this eco-design thing, eco-design regulation, yeah, yeah, right. It's going to be a text somewhere. Nobody's going to, to really care about that. Well, be very careful because as we mentioned, uh, especially in, the, in episode uh, 110, Uh, it's going to be much easier for market surveillance authorities and also customs and 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 different uh, different parties to check if if a batch complies or does not comply. It's going to be I much easier. The, well, yeah, what we should say mm -hmm. is that this idea of a product passport is very much like your visa to go into a country. Right. Yeah, passport. I mean, think about it. <laughs> that's yeah? a good. They pick that name carefully. Does it Very have the passport? Is the it right passport? Is is got the visa coming? Yeah. We look at the passport. There's no visa. You cannot come in. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's about as clear as what you, we could make it for the listener. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's a great point. <laughs> All right. Well, we're we're kind of running out of time, so um, I think we'll get back to this when when new details uh, uh, come out, and uh, and and maybe when we get some um, some some real case studies and so on about companies that are doing certain things. So uh, let's you know stay tuned. Uh, we'll keep covering uh, this aspect of thing, and also, as Clive mentioned, other countries are working on. Some you know something similar and going in the same direction. So we'll uh, we'll, we'll try to provide updates on that. Well, thanks a lot, Clive. Uh, it's always okay. Great nice to be, be with you again. Coming. Yeah, uh, great. And um, thanks for everybody for uh, for listening. And you will hear from us next week as usual. Thanks a lot. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophie's Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share, because it will really help others discover us too. 